Hello, Michael here with a quick disclaimer. The episode that you are about to listen to was originally recorded as a live event, meaning that it was recorded and streamed over our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy, or broadcast as a live event or recorded as a live event for our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash the RPG Academy. Hopefully you will understand why the audio quality of this episode is not quite up to the same standards you have come to appreciate and expect from our show. And on the off chance that when you listen to this episode, you don't really notice a difference between this episode and a regular episode, don't say anything, because that will make me cry. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Okay, we're probably already live, so hello and welcome to Detention Live from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and tonight I am joined by the originator, creator, brain trust behind the detention program, Mr. Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing tonight, sir? Oh, I guess I'm okay. Fantastic. Uh, I'm using a new setup, so I look a little different. I may sound a little different. I look a little bit washed out myself, I think. I'm a little yellow. I look a little uh, Oopa Loompish. Uh, but if any, if you're, anyone's watching, I don't know yet, if anyone's listening in the future, these detention episodes are meant to be a little bit more laid back, a little bit more, um, uh, identifiable as like our normal conversations we might have. We do much less editing, which at this point is like no editing. Um, and the idea is that we are staying here in the RPG hallowed halls after class to keep up with some hooligans, ne'er-do-wells, and academaniacs. Um... So we like to start these episodes uh, with uh, extracurricular, which is what's been going on uh, in our lives outside of the RPG Academy. So, Caleb, I'll start with you. What have you been up to the last week or two? Because it's been a while since you've been on the show. Uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, well, here, here's my first question. Since my task is to be on the Twitch channel, if anyone's actually there, are we actually live? It doesn't say. Uh, we should be. Uh, oh, okay. So yeah, uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to go there myself now to see if I can see it. I'm just. Oh wait a minute! I had to actually log in. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey. All right. Uh, wait. What was my Twitch login? <laughs> uh, hmm. Pausing. I'm not good enough to type and fill the audio silence. Nope, that wasn't it. Uh, wait, hold on. I don't know. I don't know if we're even streaming now because it says we are uh, went offline, which may mean that we're just uh, our internet's so crappy. Because now we're we we have a whole bunch of drop frames and we're up to like twenty three percent. We do actually have two people that are apparently watching though i don't know if they see anything because it looks like we may have already been dropped off so uh if anyone is out there that can hear us uh let us know if this broadcast is so god awful that it's you can't even watch it okay well i have logged in and it is definitely lagging behind so who knows what's going to happen right now well i know there's always a delay there's like a 20 to 30 second delay between live and what you see on twitch anyways but it's a matter of how much it's lagging beyond that ah okay uh 
So it looks like uh, our friend Brad, Fuller Brad, he is hey, Brad. Uh, he's Apparently he can see us because he sent us a message. Uh, so let's just pretend like people can watch this and carry sure. on. So extracurricular. Sure. What's going on, buddy? Uh, all right. So I started my new job a few months ago. That's old news. Uh, that's been ramping up. I'm like a real manager now with real responsibilities. Oh, yay. Yeah. Uh, I have a real team of people that report to me. Um, I've gotten three or four new teams in the past month because we keep changing who's doing what and what my responsibilities are. So that's super fun. Nice, yeah. Um, so that's super busy. I'm, I'm, I'm probably there a good 50, 60 hours a week. Uh, I can unfortunately work from home, which is a blessing and a curse. Oh, wow. Um, today was my day off because I worked this past Sunday. Um, I should have, uh, I should have been on the computer doing stuff and I didn't, <laughs> I, I said, I brought my computer home so I could jump on and I said, Hey guys, I'll, uh, I'll be off tomorrow, but I'll be online to check email and stuff. I didn't, I didn't do anything. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to say right now that when I go in tomorrow morning, I'll probably have 120 emails waiting for me. So yeah, that's that's the majority of my life. Um, that's all sad. Tell us some. Good I know stuff. that's a bummer, isn't yeah, it? Tell us good stuff, exciting stuff. Okay, here's something exciting. So today, since I did nothing, I binged all of the CW drama shows that I stopped watching during their actual runtime because the CW app on my Xbox is god awful. So I just waited till they uploaded to Netflix because Netflix has a deal with the CW hmm. and. Their seasons are there like a week after they air. Right. So I finished all of Flash and Arrow and Supernatural. Nice. Eh. 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 Well, don't say anything about Supernatural. The other two I don't care about. I've watched Flash. I'm not watching Arrow. But uh, for my extracurricular, I have just restarted Supernatural. I I've been watching every episode again. I'm I'm still in first season. I oh, think geez. I'm I'm on episode 22 out of 23 in the first season. I'm gonna go. Th- I'm gonna watch them all. Well, you've only got what 12 seasons? 11, <laughs> I think. Are they on 12 or are they on 13 this year? I I think this season was 12. This yeah. season was either 11 or 12. I suppose I could look it up. I have my phone in front of me. Yeah. I'm not going. Who cares? If there's anyone yeah. listening in chat, you can let us know. Save us the trouble. Um, so I started rewatching Supernatural. Um, I've been getting ready for Origins, which is next week, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, yeah. Getting ready for Gen Con. We we are doing games and panels at those, and I'm just trying to get everything together. Pretty excited about that. Um, my anniversary, my 18th year wedding anniversary, is coming up, which I think you didn't mention it, but you had one of those recently too. Um, I usually have one once a year. <laughs> once a year. Uh, so I did not see Wonder Woman, or I should say I have not yet seen Wonder Woman. It's very rare for me not to go to those movies opening night. Uh, but the wife actually wants to see this one. So uh, we're going to go watch it Friday. We're going to have a date night, nice dinner, Ooh. movie. Uh, and then on our actual anniversary, I think I'm playing Fantasy Age with Chris Pramus and some other people. <laughs> oh, good job. Good yeah. job, husband. Yeah, exactly. I... 
I we saw Wonder Woman opening weekend. Uh, it was really really good. I really hope you're going to like it. I I I'm going in with with positive expectations. Again, I've heard nothing but great things about it. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been pretty vocal that I think almost all the DC uh, EU movies so far have been just hot garbage. Um, so I'm hopeful, but uh, you know, cautiously po- pessimistic, as I say. It was a really, really good movie. It was very well done. Uh, it definitely alleviated the doom and gloom of the DC movie universe that has been established so far. Right. Uh, it has certainly set up Diana to be a true hero and it, it really established her character very well as an origin story. It was not boring. It really told a lot very nicely. Nice. Chris, Chris Pine is an outstanding sidekick damsel in distress character, right? But he's really not. He really is incredibly heroic in his own right. And the, 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 the the dynamic between them was really good. Very cool. Um, so I recently found online somewhere, I don't even remember where, where now, I think it maybe was uh, Ain't It Cool News, a, a link to the script that Joss Whedon had written a few years ago, I think like 2008, he was hired to do a treatment on Wonder Woman. And I started reading that just, just to read the script. Um, obviously, I love Joss Whedon, so I, you know, I pretty much do watch anything he puts out. Um, and it's been interesting. I kind of, I, I kind of got a little bit worried. I'm, I'm afraid they might be too similar because I don't know if there was any part of his draft that survived. So I kind of stopped after about, uh, about 12 pages in, but it's an interesting read. So I, I'm interested to see how it compares. And once I've seen the movie, I will go back and finish it just so I'll know for sure. But I don't know. It's kind of an interesting read. And then you talked about how Chris Pine is the damsel in distress, but not really because he's a hero in his own right. That reminds me of Superman Returns, which I still hold as a much better movie than most people think. Uh, and, I'm, and I know I've said this before on somewhere that uh, I think that the boyfriend is the true hero. It's not Superman in that movie. Is it James Marsden? Is that the name of the actor? He plays Cyclops in the X-Men movies. That sounds familiar. I can't. I don't know if that's or if that's Spike from Buffy. One of those. They have similar sounding names. Uh, but there's a point in that movie where it was not Spike. Okay, where they're in a basically they're in an airplane and Superman's injured and he, you know, he basically dives out of a plane and tries to save him and puts his life. And he was a true hero because he doesn't have any powers. And I just that's probably the biggest reason why I love that movie is I love the fact that the normal person was at the end of the day the one that saved the day. And I just think that's awesome. I really, I really enjoyed that dynamic. So uh, if Chris Pine is playing anything like that, then I'll enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Very cool. So it, it's sort of become a new tradition. Uh, I don't, you haven't been on for a while. That we always cover what we're drinking because usually there's alcohol involved. But I'm just drinking water, and I don't even know if you have anything to drink. So I neglected to get a beverage, but had I gotten one, it would have been water. Yeah, we're we're boring. We really are. <laughs> if, if only Matt were here to tell us about his grown-up adult beverages. Yes. So uh, so now we'll move into because these were not part of the original detentions, but uh, once we went to Twitch, it just sort of has become part and parcel. Uh, we're gonna play a little thing of ten things. 
With only two people. With only two people. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Do you want to give or receive? Crazy. Wow. wow. I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> uh, you, I'll, I'll start. So you give me the 10 things. Okay. Caleb, 10 minor league DC characters you want them to make movies out of. Oh, man. You can go major league because there's some that haven't been I'm, made yet. If you I'm to. just gonna say I'm, I'm gonna I'm just gonna say weird characters that aren't normally on the on on the focus because I don't know how we're gonna define minor league. Um, not the Const- three, obviously. Obviously not the Trinity. Uh, Constantine. One. Plastic Man. Two. Uh, Jason Blood slash Etrigan. Three. Uh, Doctor Fate. Four. Zatanna. Five. Swamp Thing. Six. Uh, uh, You're just going through the cast of Justice League Dark. I'm just going through the cast of Justice League Dark because that's all I can think of right now because I'm really stumbling to think of any other really cool side characters. Uh, Booster Gold. Seven. Um, um, uh, Guy Gardner. Eight. Uh, crap. Uh, oh man, I feel so I feel so bad right now. I'm, I'm not being a good DC fanboy. Um, oh, um, no wait, those are Marvel. No, those were not Marvel. Um, the um, who are the guys that were made out of metal? Like, was it? Yeah, there's five guys that are all made out of metal, but I don't remember yeah. the name. Those guys, right? Those guys. Nine, nine. Um, and uh, I said him already. I said him already. Um, oh, I'm a failure. Uh, uh, <laughs> pull it out of you. I, oh man, I'm really glad no one is listening to this because this is terrible. We actually um, have four people that are watching you fail. Oh wow, wow! Thanks, guys. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Someone help him out! Come on, throw something in chat. Chat. We're dying oh, here. Oh, oh, um, the uh, Buana man. What? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, dude that run, dude that can talk to animals and merge them together. Is that a real thing? Yes, it is a real thing. Okay. Yeah. I I, uh, I at least had heard of all the others that you had mentioned. Never heard of a Guana man. I think it's. Buana? Buana. Buana. He he was in uh he was in Justice League Unlimited. I think he showed up in Batman Brave and the Bold a couple times. Yeah, he, he talks to animals, he runs around in a loincloth, and then he can magically merge two animals into a weird like centaur combination of the two of them to do things. I yeah, I'm I'm off my game tonight. Know what's going on? All right, so I will see if I can follow that up. <laughs> anything, anything that you can do will be better than this, Michael. Ten things you hope you do not see at Origins. Um, nude pictures of myself. One. Um, I, I kind of want to see a lot of stuff at Origins. Uh, a fist fight. Two. A katana fight. 
Three. That's a lie. I totally want to see that. Um, the inside of a panel van through a darkly shaded hood. Four. Uh, a hotel bill that's much higher than I expected. Five. The inside of my wallet, because it's going to be empty. Six. Um, all the games that I want to buy that I can't afford right now. Seven. A disgruntled listener. Eight. Um, I don't want to see Batman versus Superman. Nine. Like ever again. Um, and I don't want to see Ken or Robin because screw those guys. Ten. Yay. Yay. Ten Good things. things. Yeah, so we really, much better than me. We really need Matt here. He, Matt, Matt really brings a spark when it comes to that. Matt, Matt brings a spark to all of our lives. I miss Matt. <laughs> So it's now time to move into used books. Uh, used books is where we take a look back at a campaign that we ran that probably failed spectacularly or maybe didn't because we've done this a lot now. We're running out. Uh, but like any good used book, there should be some notes in the margins. And we're going to see if we can take a look at those and see if we can use them to help us do better next time. So, Caleb, um, I know you're kind of on the spot. Do you have a campaign that you want to talk about? If not, I probably could dig one up. I'm thinking here. Um, hmm. I do have uh, a couple really cool Cthulhu campaigns that we started and never finished. We talk about those. Sure. Yeah. Doesn't have to be D and D. Yeah. Um, we started a Call of Cthulhu game where we all played versions of ourselves so we were we were playing ourselves but we got to reimagine a little bit about ourselves career-wise and history-wise so they call it magical realism we tweaked the story a little bit uh so we did not have any sort of psychic or magical powers we were all still just regular people uh but for example instead of working at the job i had then which was i think crappy retail job i was like a college professor ah. because why not of course not yeah uh what was really interesting about it was we started the game in the house we were physically playing it so when we put the game together we said all right the the four of us are at the house we're at in real life having a barbecue mm-hmm. and then we started telling the story of what was going on long and short of it. The air raid sirens went off uh, SWAT and uh, military forces rolled into town. Everything got shut down. We didn't know what was going on. It's like red Dawn. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, We knew we were playing Cthulhu, but there were no real strong Lovecraftian elements. Uh, And then slowly that started creeping in. It was pretty interesting because we kind of got off on tangents because we were really focused on the realism of where we were. So at one point someone said, well, all right, I'm going to run in the basement and get this. And we said, well, that's not in the basement. You can't do that (laughs) because it wasn't in the basement at the time. So we, we kind of put ourselves in a bad spot because we were enjoying the blurring of reality by uh, playing off of that you're yourselves in the house we're in 
but we we didn't quite separate that enough from playing the game. Um, it was fun though. We had a lot of fun. Uh, the, it quickly became a uh, asteroid touchdown alien energy was seeping out the military had been called and they were getting infected kind of story uh it only made it really two sessions and that second session was barely a session um honestly there was nothing wrong with the game it was a good premise it was, we had a lot of fun with it uh but it just became a time sink that we didn't have most of the games I play in real life have fallen apart simply due to time. We can't get together. I think most in the world, probably that's what kills most of them. Yeah. Yeah. It it did not fall apart because the game ended or GM player conflict occurred. It just never had time to play. Some of the people weren't as engaged as other people. So it was fun though. Um, I I think if we want to take a lesson from it, it, it's really cool to, Put yourself into a real world or a real world setting into a game, but you have to definitely balance the fantasy with the reality. Yeah, we um, we were going to start a game here. It, it never actually happened. Uh, but Jared, who I think you've met, and uh, he was on a couple of our podcasts, not very many, but he's uh, one of our faculty members. Uh, he was going to run. He there's a really fun zombie game he likes to play and i can't remember the name of it it's not one of the most well known and basically that's what we were going to do is we were going to start like we were in the basement playing a game when the zombie apocalypse happened so whatever we physically had around us was all we could grab what it was just like you whatever physically was in the house and uh, i was like well exciting because i have like three swords and nunchucks and have guns so i was actually pretty 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 prepared uh, but we all made the agreement that we didn't have kids because in the, the real situation, every choice I made would be about my children, getting to them if I wasn't with them, keeping them safe. And we just didn't want to deal with that. Plus, I didn't want to deal with the chance that one of them could die. So we just said we're, we're just everything's exactly the same, but none of us have ever had kids. And I think that kind of falls in that that would have made the game less fun for me. It might have made it more emotionally draining, which could be satisfying, but from a fun quotient, I just didn't want to deal with that. And that's what we did at uh, a very old version of a catacon in your basement. <laughs> when I ran Dread, yep. I, I started those games of Dread with, you are sitting in Michael's basement. This happens. Yep. It's fun. It's an interesting way to break that barrier of fantasy and reality and get invested in a tabletop game. So I know this has come up a couple times in some of the forums I lurk in, and I've actually dealt with it a little bit myself, but have you ever had any issues when you're playing quote unquote yourself with the, what are my stats? And people are like, well, I'm really smart. So I have an 18 intelligence. We're like, dude, no, 18 is like fucking Einstein. You're like maybe a 15. You're above the average, but did you ever have any issues where people like would would fight over what their stats would be? Not in any games I have played recently, but back in college with my old original gaming group, back in the day of MySpace and LiveJournal, someone in the group, not me, had the great idea to say, hey, 
let's stat ourselves as a party and we'll do it anonymously. So everyone can send me your stats and then I will average them and put them on our site. And that immediately led to hurt feelings and pouting and arguments because then the one person who was seeing everyone's submissions got upset that the submissions for this person were what they were. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a bad time. Yeah. It, it was a bad time. So the game, and I, I wish I could remember it, is the game that Jerry, again, that Jerry wanted to play. It actually has a questionnaire that you have to fill out. It's like an online questionnaire with like, I don't know, 15, 20 questions. And based off of your answers, it gives you three scores and three stats. And that's the only stats you have for the game. It's been like two years since I did. It. I don't remember, but but I thought that was an interesting uh, way to approach it because it wasn't just well, you know, I'm average strength, so maybe it's eleven. I you know, I'm average intelligence, maybe it's nine type of thing. It's like you just fill out a questionnaire and it asks you questions like, do you consider yourself an outgoing person? Uh, do you have a lot of friends? Do you when you go to parties? Do you make jokes or do you hide in the corner? And that would give you like sort of like your personality slash charisma. Then you had one that was like mental fortitude. So um, obviously I don't want to try to develop that, but it it was a fun way to do it for that particular game. And uh, it kept us from anybody from arguing, not that anybody else would, Uh, you know, I think last time I did this, I was in college and yes, there was some heated conversation about uh, whose stats were better than news and all that kind of stuff. Um, I played in a game as a D&D game where we sort of did that as well. We um, we, we were basically playing D&D, and then boom, there's a bl- flash of light, and now we're all in like a D&D world. And, uh, and I remember that, again, it's going to sound awful, I was a little bit upset because I felt like I was the only one that was even sort of like taking it seriously. Like everyone else is like, cool, we're in D&D world. And they're like, and I'm all like, but, you know, my girlfriend, who, you know, Valerie, is like, how do I get back to her? Like, I didn't take my glasses. I can't see. You know, I, I'm basically blind without them. Like, I was, like, trying to be, like, emotionally invested in how do we get home. And everyone else is like, I want to be a paladin. You know, and I'm like, what, you know, because at the time I was a bit more religious than I am now. And I was like, you know, I can't imagine being a cleric in a fantasy world because of, you know, my religion. Like, I don't know. I was just trying to take it like, like serious and nobody else was. Well, that's a situation where a session zero would have been very helpful. Yes. Yes, it would have. It would have been very, very helpful. And again, the whole you're you, but you're not dating anyone or engaged anyone. Cause I don't remember exactly the time frame there. Uh, but yeah, so that, that would have helped that game a lot though. I, I will give the, uh, the DM credit. Uh, he basically had a cleric cast restoration on my eyes. So right away we figured out the glasses problem. Uh, so in the chat, the suggestion, I think this is Brad is saying, uh, is the zombie game all flesh must be eaten? Oh crap. I don't know if that's or not. Maybe. Uh, the, the, uh, the more interesting way to make stats that reminds me of some of those I forget what they're called but they came out maybe a year or two ago it's it's all the end of the world games it's, uh, was... uh, the end of the world I think oh there you go I had it right yeah I think I think it's called end of the world and there's all these different scenarios yeah yeah there was a like a mythos one that had Ragnarok in it and there was a zombie one there was a, a robot one or an alien one or something like there were three different books they were different colors that's the only thing I can remember um, they, they have a more 
group oriented stat creation. The stats are pretty streamlined. It's not the six standard D and D stats. And you, you kind of put forth to the group what you think your stat should be. And then people can either upvote it or downvote it. They can agree, they can increase it, they can decrease it. It's like, and, and you're basically voting anonymously. So it's not as uh, easy to get hurt feelings. I, I remember uh, She's a Super Geek did an actual play of that with, I believe, yes. Darcy and, um, God, I can't remember the GM's name. It was the girl from Fantasy Flight, Aust- Ostranja. I'm so sorry. If I, I know the this. I know the game you're thinking of. Cause what I was thinking of as we were talking yeah. about this, but but the lady I I know we're on Twitter. We talk several times, and I just cannot think of her name. Uh, Katrina, I think Katrina Oslander or something like that. Um, but she even said normally we do this secretly, but since we're on an audio podcast, and they actually had to vocally do that segment, and I was like that it was a little awkward. Like listening in, there was a little bit of a you could tell yeah. people were trying to be nice. Yeah, you know, so it's like if this—if you guys could do this secretly, I bet we'd be a little bit more touchy. <laughs> yeah, but hey, that session zero is very important. They, uh, the agreement of what you want to do at the game, the type of game you want to play. If in your example, everyone had come to the conclusion of let's have this be a silly, fun, we're ourselves zapped into fake fantasy world you probably would not have tried to role play it like you did. Right. Yeah. If, I would have just been like, all right, cool. I want to be a wizard. Cause that's my favorite class. Yeah. But if everyone had agreed, no, this is real with consequences. Maybe more people would have been what you were trying to do. Right. And again, that goes back session zero and also just conflicting play styles. I wasn't right. They weren't wrong. We just without talking had different ideas of what the game should be. And we just sort of try to figure out as we go rather than anything else. Hey, so we have someone else in the chat here, uh, Sprocketeer. Uh, The group I played with for over 25 years generally had several session zeros, and we would create the character in discussion with the GM, assigning attributes and skills rather than rolling them to build characters the GM and players were comfortable with. Man, I hate whimsical comedic games. <laughs> Do wow. not listen to Dead Center. Do, nope. <laughs> Rod Iron's iffy on some episodes. Any of our games <laughs> at all. I think Rod Iron walks that line. Rod Iron has some emotional punches. Yeah. It's there's not, a lot it's, of It's not whimsical and comedic. But we do some silly stuff in it. We do some silly stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Don't listen to Dead Center whatsoever. But anyone uh, else, it's our, it might be our best three episodes of anything we've ever done. <laughs> I still wish to this day we can get back to that game. Out of all the games that have died, I think that might be the one I regret most, even over A New World, even over Deadlands Fate. I loved that game. I love that character so much. That was a fun game. I want to get back to that game, and I would like to get back to Secrets, Lies, and Undead. Even though You kind of know something was- now. Yeah, I do know a little bit about that, and uh, it was nothing but horror and tragedy for myself and my character. No, uh, no again, it, it was designed in a way your character was not going to take a back seat, but you were going to stop being treated so poorly, and I was going to move on to someone else. Season two was going to be Scott's character's arc, because um, there was actually there was an episode where the, those three dream sequences, and 
we were going to deal with what I still Scott's... don't understand that. Well, that's because we didn't get to season two. That's when all that was going to come up. Did you ever talk to Scott? Like, because I know we built those characters separately. We didn't do like an open session zero for those. Like, did you know what Scott's whole shtick was with that character? Nope. Oh, so I, I only remember part of it. I'll probably at some point I'll get him to correct me. But he basically was cursed uh, by I think the Elf Queen that anyone who looked at his face, which he was a her, her face would go insane. So that's why she wore a mask. Mm. Because if the mask came off, it was just like insanity ray to anyone who like almost like a Medusa sort of thing. Um, and that's what that whole thing about her being a prisoner, but she was her own guard uh, because basically she was concealing her true self. And we were going to deal with the whole thing, and I was going to give her a chance to either lift or modify the curse and like weaponize it. Cool. I really like 13th Age mechanically, uh, and I like the story that is presented, but it is one of those settings where I feel a little bit hampered because I don't know the story backwards and forwards. D&D is very easy to just play fantasy world and not care about the story. Uh, But if you want to jump into a specific setting like Eberron or Dragon Age or whatever, I feel like you have to know a whole lot to make it feel right. And that's how I feel about 13th Age. If, uh, If I play 13th Age, I just like the rules. But the rules in this case are really, really hinged on how the icons work. And I get a little bit hung up by that. Yeah, I had this grand plan, and I, it's still in the back of my head, but scheduling for my in-home game has been off the chart ridiculous. I mean, we, we literally, we got back, we played two sessions of Dark Discovery in the last, like, month. There was over an eight-month gap between the last session and these sessions. Mm-hmm. And it just kept one after another. People couldn't come. People, you know, something was going on. And with Dark Discovery, I've said we are not going to play unless we're all there. And it just seems like one person just kept missing and kept missing and kept missing. Obviously, we had a catacon and, you know, holidays through December, that kind of thing. But if we ever get back to a regular schedule, I want to start doing it where we play Dark Discovery once a month. And then we play um, the Crimson Throne Pathfinder Adventure Path. But I was going to run it in 13th Age because I don't Hmm. like Pathfinder rules. I like 13th Age rules. But I hear that is one of the best adventure paths that uh, Paizo has ever made. So I've read through a lot of it. It's cool. I'm looking forward to getting started, but we, we've, we haven't even had a session zero yet. It's like, it's so frustrating, but yeah, I, again, I think 13th age is a lot of fun. Uh, One of the events I signed up for Gen Con is to play 13th age with Sean who joined us for detention a while back. He's a heavy metal GM on Twitter and he blogs. Mm -hmm. He's very 13th age focused on his, his blog stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that game. Uh, Brad says Secret Lies and Undead is his all-time favorite. I appreciate that. Hopefully I didn't just ruin it for you. <laughs> he, well, we're never going to play season two. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, he also said don't play Wushu uh, when speaking with Sprocketeer about comedic games versus dark serious games. Uh, I will counter that argument because I have successfully used Wushu to play a gritty, grim, noir, Lovecraft horror game. And that is a game that you may or may not be able to hear very soon on another podcast. 
Yeah, I think because we talked about it when we first started playing Wushu, because like we all became infatuated with it. It's such a fun game. It's a, it's a great one shot game, but it's it was originally designed to be kind of a serious game, and I just kept thinking like I don't see how it would work. You know, it's buy in. If everyone buys in, you can. But but we were we were trying to think like how could you play a serious dramatic game when you have so much control to keep bad things from happening. And I think that, you know, a lot of drama is you do a thing and it solves a problem, but it creates a new problem. And I think that's where some, if you're scripting it, the writer does that, or, you know, that kind of, you know, GM in a traditional game does that. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just haven't played it enough, but that, that would be my concern is if not, if everyone's not on the same page and if everyone isn't maybe to the same level of like being a storyteller or role, role player, it could get wonky. Yeah, it definitely needs player buy-in and agreement to do the thing that you're trying to do. Um, the key in my experience has been encouraging players to let those story details that they tell not only not simply be focused on themselves. So in the horror game that I played, that I ran, uh, the details that the dice were being pulled from were about the um, the environment, the things that were happening, the creepy, horror, spooky things that were going on, uh, their reaction or other characters' reactions. So it, the the game we played, I was very lucky to get uh, three players who were great improv storytellers. They had bought into the concept and were willing to play along with it. And there's a definite point in the game where it clicks for all of them. Like the first couple rounds and dice rolling, it wasn't quite there. And then like partway through the first episode, there's just a total change in the way it's going. Cause they finally grasped what they could really do and the story just takes off, and it's amazing. So yeah, it absolutely is possible. I think we saw that uh, in our trial of Wushu, which it looks like Sprocketeer has not listened to any of that yet. You probably won't, probably won't like it because it is definitely off-the-wall, crazy, nutso, not serious at all. But if you want to learn how to play Wushu, we did two actual uh, series. One uh, trial of Wushu, and then we did another G.I. Joshu. Actually, we've done three because I also did Super uh, the Wushuper Friends which was a like 1977 Super Friends cartoon-inspired uh, goof. Uh, but basically the system is very simple. You roll dice. The dice, don't, you, the dice don't decide what happens. You decide that. But the dice tell you how far you got into the scene and how close you are to resolving it. So you don't roll to see if you hit a goblin. You just say, I kill four goblins. You kill four goblins. No matter what happens on the dice, those four goblins are dead. But the dice might tell you that you've killed all but one of the goblins or, oh, look, 70 more goblins are around the corner, depending on if you roll high or low or that kind of thing. Um, go ahead. I, I was going to say, uh, Wushu is my go-to game for conventions, for quick one-shots if we don't have anything else planned. In my mind, it is a really great way to teach people how to role play and get them into the mindset of storytelling and shared narration. 
Um, Sprocketeer says it sounds like a nightmare. It's not. It's the best game ever. <laughs> it is so much fun, but if you don't like those types of games, again, you, you apparently Caleb says you can play it dark and gritty, but I have not so far. Out of the three times I've played and or ran it, it's always been goofy, silly, fun. It's but it has definitely the. It's definitely an easy way to just cut loose and do anything. So it's very easy to trip over itself and become shenanigans. And let's be honest, when we play, we want to play a game that's full of shenanigans. And we get people that are willing to be goofy and dumb and get there. Most of the time. Yeah. yeah we, we can uh, make it happen, though. I, um, I ran one session, wasn't even a full session, of a actual play that I was going to do that involved Jim McClure, uh, Brad from our Dark Discovery game, and then Michael and Jared, uh, which, again, are the the faculty members that you guys don't hear a lot about where it was going to be gunslinger samurai-ish and it was supposed to be very dramatic and it just like everything else it fell apart it could get people together but it was going to be a super serious it was not long after we did our one shot of l5r that was received very well it's like well maybe there's something to play in a dramatic game so i was going to try to develop one i still love the idea there's a lot to it that we never got to obviously um but uh Essentially, I'll go because it's probably never going to happen. Or if it even, I won't give away the 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 truth, but I'll I'll give the setup. So it's basically like L five R samurai, except they're gunslingers. There's this kingdom that they're they're the only ones that have guns, and it's it's very uh, Heralds of Valdemar series. If anyone's familiar with that, where the gun chooses the the wielder, and if you're chosen. You're the only one that can shoot that gun. Uh, if you hand your gun to someone else, they cannot fire it. It just will not work for anyone but you. And the very first scene, one of the established gunslingers uh, finds a young boy who apparently can shoot any gun that he wants. And this has never been heard of, and no one knows why this person can do that. And that was going to be the setup, was that one of the characters was this new person very, very dredge dreadish in there. The movie where you have like the rookie who's being taught the ropes by the established judge, but they have powers in a way. So I don't know. At some point in time, I'd love to get back to it. Probably never will, but uh, I'd love the idea and, uh, and the mystery behind it. I thought was really cool. So, uh, Brad, Brad told Sprocketeer that he might like dread for a realistic, serious game. Or it's silly. Cause I love my Scooby-Doo dread. Well, what's really funny is when we talk about Dread, I, I gravitate towards a very serious, real world, you're playing yourself and you're in a horrible situation usage for Dread, and you have gravitated towards Scooby-Doo. And Star Wars. And Star Wars. Uh, weren't, weren't we throwing around some Star Trek ideas too? Yes, I was supposed to put together a Star Trek Dread, and I'll be honest, I have failed. I've tried. I cannot find, I can't find a way into it. I can't break the story. I thought about doing it, uh, obviously like a hollow deck made a lot of sense, but didn't feel, feel right to me. And then I thought about doing a, like all the captains, like they, you would play all the different captains, you know, Kirk, uh, Cisco, Picard, and it would be some sort of situation where all the Janeway, all the captains from all the different series would be put together. That still just didn't feel right to me. So I don't know. I just, I haven't found, because like Scooby-Doo, 
I, I right away was like, okay, Scooby's dead. It's in the future. It's going to be odd. It's like Scooby-Doo meets Clue. I knew exactly what I was doing. Uh, Star Wars knew exactly what I was doing. The, my D&D Dread knew exactly what I was doing. I can't figure out Star Trek. I don't know. Maybe I need to rewatch the whole series again or something, or all Oof. of them, maybe. <laughs> you could maybe uh, maybe do something where they're on a station like DS9, and the, the tower is related to how the station operates or a, tr- a crisis that's locked down the station, something like that. I don't know. Uh, uh, or, or maybe like an unstable wormhole, and when the tower ooh. collapse, it does a thing or like a neutron star that's about to go pulsar. And if they don't solve the thing that that goes. Yeah. So yeah, that might, that might be the way to do it is, is cause the, let the tower represent something else. So I'm, uh, it's still in the back of the head. Like every now and then I get a thought, but just hasn't clicked yet. Yeah. All right. So uh, it's time to move into everyone's favorite part of detention. Caleb, where have my fingers been? Oh, we're doing this again with we, only two of us. We always do it. It's tradition oh, now. It's going to be so bad. Oh, yeah. that's They're always bad. No, no, yeah, they're, but, yeah. They're always bad. It's going to be worse because Matt's not here. All right. I, I got to get props. Scott, nail some of these finger games. Phrasing. Phrasing. Right. <laughs> where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Uh, the world's largest candy store. Oh. 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 You have diabetes. Fuck! That's where my fingers have been. <laughs> we apologize to any of our listeners if that was offensive. <laughs> All right. Where have my fingers been? Where have my fingers been? The Wonder Woman world premiere. Hey, this is really great. I love Wonder Woman. It's so great to see uh, a female character and a female director and such so many people here being out to love it. And it's going to be such a great movie. This is really dumb. Superhero movies should be about men. You're stupid. Okay, I'm going to leave now. Hey! <laughs> that's where my fingers have been. And that's fantasy right there, people. That was fantasy. <laughs> Okay, so uh, our last, well, next to last segment here is cryptozoology. That's where we talk about a monster, mainly in D&D, mainly in D&D 5e, but not necessarily. Uh, We talk about ways we've used it, ways we could use it. We did not pick one. So uh, I'll throw it to the audience. Anybody in chat who would like for us to cover a monster, you got a minute or so, and then we'll pick one at random if we don't get a suggestion. We apparently offended Rocketeer with our diabetes jokes. I apologize. I'm so sorry. Don't go into the world's largest candy store, though. I mean, nope, you know, that's just never. temptation you don't need. There's a chocolate factory right down the street from where I live. It used to be Harry London's chocolates, and they got bought out by somebody else. And you could go on tours and get lots of samples. Nice. All right, so Sprocketeer asks if why, if kobolds are so weak, why aren't they extinct? So we can talk about kobolds in our cryptozoology. So I'll, I'll start with you, Caleb. Any thoughts on kobolds? Have you used them before? Everyone's used kobolds. Kobolds are the, I think, second most common monsters in the monster manual for low-level parties. You always start with goblins, 
and then you go to Cobalt. Always. Not always. Always. And then there's a giant spider. Yes. It's just how it goes. Uh, Cobalts are interesting. They, on one hand, they are tiny little lizard people that are just jokes. Um, or, or same for goblins, Sprocketeer, either way. We're, we're, we're stuck on Cobalts now, so deal with it. Um, <laughs> they're, they're annoying. They, are, they sound funny. They're just weird things that are off in the woods. They live in tribes, whatever. Uh, but then some of the stories about them uh, make them descendants or offshoots of dragons, and they have this draconic blood in them, and they worship different dragons, or they're related to different dragons. Um, so you could do a lot with them in a bigger story. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, I think I used them in Dead Center. Yes, yes. Yes, I did, because they were basically the servants of the Red Dragon. Yes. Steve, I think his name was? Sure. Larry, something like that? It was, it was something like that. Um, <laughs> because nothing in that game was serious. Um, I believe in another campaign, I used them as kind of recurring enemies in that they were harrowing some of... Uh, oh, it was a, um, a merchant train. Merchants were traveling from one city to the other, and they kept getting harassed by these kobolds, and eventually the PCs realized that it was one tribe of kobolds the whole time, and they had to track down the, the home base of the tribe, and they were actually in the service of a dragon. So I've used them the same way multiple times. Um, they're fun. They're, they're a little bit more dangerous than a goblin. They, they seem to be a little bit more of a threat because they're a little bit more organized. They potentially have more tactics. Um, and they have that threat of a dragon when you might be too low of a level to deal with a dragon. It's like my bodyguard situation. Let's kill the kobolds. Oh, wait. Uh-oh. We're dead. Yeah. But, I mean, the game is called D&D, which stands for Dungeons and Dragons, which is what I should have said to begin with. The game is called Dungeons and Dragons, and you rarely ever fight dragons. Yes. That's true. Because they're very complicated, and they're very dangerous. And in my games, you very rarely go into dungeons. It's true. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, very rarely do I do dungeon crawls in my games. Like you might go into like a sewer, you might go into like an abandoned building, but very rarely do you go underground into an ancient complex that has multiple rooms, traps, and monsters. We we could go into a tangent discussion of what really constitutes a dungeon, and we could argue that a dungeon is an all-encompassing term for a self-contained environment in which an adventure happens. Yeah. So if we are going through an abandoned building or a series of sewers, or a jungle that could be a dungeon setting. True, but I think that's modern game design that has creeped in. I think when, when D&D oh, was sure. invented, their dungeons were always underground type of a thing. But, oh, yeah. But, but to get to Sprocketeer's question about goblins, because they breed like crazy, and when you start to wipe them out, they go to someone else and say, please help us, we'll, we'll be your servants. And then they get bigger, dumber things to kill people. 
and then they just keep breeding the whole time. That's why goblins are still around. Uh, but kobolds, and there's also a lot more uh, creatures in the goblinoid family line because hobgoblins and bugbears are all goblinoids. Um, so they're not all weak. Some of them are big and strong. Yep. So I am not sure if I have ever in my entire gaming career used a cobalt. Hmm. I don't, I don't think so. I'm not a fan of them. Uh, but I'll tell you why, because I'm bad at combat. See, here's the thing about cobalts. They're not difficult to kill when you, don't play them properly. When you play them just like a bag of hit points and you're like, here's four kobolds in a field. Let's go stab them with sticks until they die. Kobolds are designed to be very clever and sneaky and crafty and they, they are, they're trap makers. So it would be very dangerous to follow a kobold into its lair. It'd be like following a, a, like a snake into its pit. You don't know when the snake's going to have enough room to turn around and get you. So it's like dangerous to do that unless you know, you're very confident. Following a cobalt into its lair should be terrifying because the cobalts know where all the traps are. You don't. They they have home field advantage. And I have never used them in that capacity because I actually I can't remember if I've ever used them at all. But even in other situations that I've seen them used, it's always here six cobalts, you know, poke them with sticks until they're dead. And that's a little bit of a disservice to them. Um. But that being said, they tend to be seen as just goofy, pointless, not very important bad guys. But any villain, any monster of the week could be seen like that. It's just since kobolds are so weak, it's easy to stick them into that corner and not pay attention to them. Yeah. Uh, Treating them like uh, guerrilla warriors or uh, jungle experts, like Sprocketeer mentioned in the chat, uh, that is a good way to make them very dangerous. Uh, some monster manuals have given us different versions of kobolds, winged kobolds, or beefier kobolds, or smarter spell-slinging kobolds, to try to give us some more options. I think 4th edition had a bunch of different kobolds you could pick from. Actually, I have to take that back. Thinking on fourth edition, I did use them some because I think they were in one of the like the modules that first came out with it. Because you mm-hmm. had the alchemist cobalts that threw like the glue pots and the al- alchemist fire pots. So I think I did yeah. use them in fourth edition. I always think of cobalts as chickens, lizardy chickens for some reason, and I I blame that on an old GM who threw cobalts at us but didn't have cobalt figures but had chicken figures and put chickens on the board. So I've always associated kobolds and chickens. Nice. I like, I would like to try to use an idea where like the, the PCs are setting up sort of like a heist or they're going into like a legendary dungeon that is supposed to be the most deadly dungeon in the world. Like, I don't know, maybe the tomb of horrors. Um, and so they seek out a kobold to be like their guide. Like this, this is a kobold who's, you know, they make traps in their sleep. Let's take one of those with us. That would be cool for a story. My, my, my fear is that they were basically inter- introducing a DMPC situation unless one of the players is playing a Cobalt. Uh, but that could be an interesting way to use them is use them as something you need, uh, you know, rather than something that you're fighting. And I don't know. Beyond that, uh, I do like the idea of the foreshadowing 
that, you know, kobolds could mean dragon. And, you know, if the players are aware of that, that might cause some trepidation that would kind of slow down their gung-ho murder hoboing in the, you know, in an early part of an adventure. The question always arises when we're playing D&D or fantasy magic game. What is the line between player knowledge and character knowledge? And we always talk about metagaming. And this is one of those areas where it's very interesting to think about. An average commoner in a fantasy world might not know what a kobold is. They might think it is a terrifying lizard creature. So as an adventurer, are you bringing that knowledge that it is not a terrifying lizard creature because you've killed them before or you've read about them in books? Or are you bringing along that commoner character knowledge that, oh, this is a terrifying lizard creature. What am I going to do? But of course, as soon as you've played one game of D&D, you know what it is. And then when you're playing your next character, you have that player knowledge now. And it becomes a lot harder to role play the emotions behind combat encounters. So I, I think that gets into a conversation that we, we might want to spend time on in, the, in a future episode. I think that's part of the way the game has evolved. Because my, my view, I didn't start with like od and I started with Basic, but it had been out for a while. I think it was the, the Metzer Red Box is what I started with. And in my viewpoint, from what I played as a kid and what I, what I know about the hobby, is that originally playing D&D, you weren't really leveling up your character. You were leveling up yourself in a lot of ways. Your character was an avatar for you in the game. And when you got killed by a kobold, you as a player now knew what to do. When you got killed by a trap, you as a player now knew what to do. And that was like part of the game. Like you weren't supposed to try to hide that. You weren't supposed to be like, well, I don't know what a beholder is. It was supposed to be like, no, guys, this is a beholder. And and you tell everyone how to prepare. Or you're like, no, we want to check the third brick down from the right because that's where they always hide the traps. And it was it was designed to do that. And now, you know, I think the game has evolved and changed, not necessarily better or worse, but just different, where it's a lot about the story, and we don't want to give a mechanical advantage in a way that doesn't make sense because that can lessen the tension of the story. Does that make any sense? It does, absolutely. Um, What I think is very interesting, and this is surely my opinion, but Dungeons & Dragons is not at its core a story-driven game. It's a mechanically-driven game. But the current trend is to want to dig into those storytelling moments and support them and let cool group narration happen and encourage that and foster that. But D&D is so grounded in mechanics that it's a very challenging situation for example look at wrought iron wrought iron is a very narration heavy game a very story focused game and the reason i think that worked very well is because we very rarely rolled the dice and uh that was not my intent going into that game when we started running and recording that but the way it 
evolved, I saw it very quickly going much more towards the role-playing between the three of you and your story. So I made the conscious choice to eliminate as much dice rolling as possible. I think in every combat situation that happened, it was very much just a, okay, roll an attack, but narrate the whole situation around what you're doing. And it was more of a roll some dice just to kind of get flavor in there. So yes, we definitely want to tell more stories, but D and D sometimes makes it harder. Well, and I think again, where it's sometimes it's hard to me for me to get away from my, my experience, my, my opinions, because I don't think D and D does get in the way but that's because I am so willing to ignore the rules in every situation that I, I ignore the things that would make it difficult. Cause, cause you're right. That is as much as I say, like, like if people ask me, what is D and will say it's a cooperative storytelling game, but it's really not. No, it's not, not at all. but it is the way I play it. The way I enjoy playing it is when it is like that. So it's, it's one of those things where, like, like I know the other day, I know not everyone listens to uh, to Dark Discovery because it's a you know it's a patron only thing. And even at, right now, I don't know how many patrons are listening to it because we had such a large gap. I think most of them have given up on it. But ninety percent of our of our roles are me saying high or low and doing my randomizer. Like that's what we roll more than anything. Is they say, is this there? Or does this happen? And I will say pick high or low, and I'll roll my two dice. Like, that's it. That's the majority of the rolls. And beyond that, it's skill checks. You know, there'll be a spot check here and now and then, an intimidation check, that kind of thing. But it is so narratively focused, and everyone's just role-playing, which is what I want them to do. And there's been so little combat that it's almost – we're not really playing D&D in, in Dark Discovery. But it might be my favorite game I've ever ran. I, I'm having so much fun with it because I don't let the rules get in the way, but, but we realistically may be better off switching to a system that, that supports that type of play rather than just ignoring D and D to, to have that type of play. Or just coming up with a really serious hack of the rules that support what you are doing, but still use D and D is the bones. Still use the stats and skills that you guys have. Still use your character abilities, but think of a different way to utilize them to help facilitate the narration focus that you've been developing. All right, but I mean, I don't disagree. Obviously, disagree with that. But it's just one of those things where you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We're we're calling it D and D. We're all having a ton of fun. I don't think we need to change it. But for anyone listening who's like, I want to listen to a D&D game, I don't know that Dark Discovery qualifies. But it's a lot of fun, so hopefully people are enjoying listening to it when they do. Yeah, uh, to, each, to each his or her own, to each their own. Yep. But we do want to actually, on our docket of uh, faculty meetings, is a dungeon delve type of episode where we were going to talk a bunch about dungeons. So we, we need to get to that soon, because I think that would be a fun topic. For me... Again, this is my evolution of a DM where I was a terrible DM for a very long time, but I kept doing it and I got better and I got better, is I quickly found that I am better at running social games than I am running combat games, which should be no surprise to you. But but I got there, honestly, is I would run games where we were in dungeons and they weren't fun. 
And then I would run a game where we're like, we're hanging out in the city and the players really got into it because they were, you know, I had all these different factions, I had these NPCs and there were twists and there were mysteries. But when I took them down into a dungeon and it's like, you're in a five foot by five foot hallway, there's a door to your right. What do you do? You know, and, and then they open the door and there's two goblins in there, you know, playing checkers and they kill them. Like, I'm just not good at that. So rather than getting good at that, I just stopped doing it. And I got really good at the other part and just ignored that, which is a, you know, is a microcosm of, or yeah, microcosm of how I play the game to begin with. But every now and then I still like to go into dungeons, but I never got good at them. So I still, I'm not sure what I'm doing there. So I'll be interested to get your take of that as someone who is more focused on the crunchy side and who probably could run a dungeon encounter, uh, you know, more adeptly than I could. Well, if, wrought iron is any evidence i'm very bad at designing dungeons <laughs> well i don't think you were bad at designing dungeons i think that was a difficult dungeon to get across in our medium because none of us were in the same room none of us could see a map none of us were trying to map it we were all just assuming that eventually we'd get to where we were going so the idea that we were getting lost was lost on us yeah well, that actually goes into a question that Brad asked. Does the fact that you are doing a podcast tend to drive it that way? The mechanics are combat. The mechanics are combat seem as though they would be difficult to keep interesting in audio only. Yeah, it's tough when we are doing an audio only format. Um, sticking to the rules as written, not that. 5e has that many heavy rules for gritting how spells work and stuff like that but really focusing on the tactical side of combat is very tough to do in a podcast yeah i completely agree and i also would say when we first started doing the podcast when it was evan and i and i because i wanted to do actual plays from the beginning i was really I was the one that drove that part of it. Uh, Evan was fine with just doing faculty meetings or, you know, dungeon talks, whatever. And I really wanted to do games. And so I started listening to a bunch of podcasts, just randomly picking some. And there were two or three that I listened to early on that were very combat heavy. And they were they were following the rules. And I thought they were as boring as shit. I could not keep up with who was doing what. There was a lot of, I move here, I attack this one. And I'm like, this is this is awful, so I made the decision that if we were going to do an actual play, that we would be more descriptive. And originally we were using maps and minis. Like like we started to do that. And then very quickly because of D&D &D Next, we decided to stop. And it I'm, I think that might be the best decision I've ever made as a DM. It's made my game so much better because it fits my style. It's not better. It's better for me to run that type of game. But I completely agree, Brad. I, I would be hats off to anyone who can run a game that doesn't have any visual components by those rules and make it engaging. Cause I cannot. Well, there are other tools to use as well. Sprocketeer brought up rule 20. Rule 20 is a, a tool that can create a shared map. And there are many other software systems out there that players who are not in the same physical location can share a map. And for a home game, where you can say, all right, I'm going to move three spaces over here and attack this guy because you can see the tokens and you're all looking at the same map. Sure, super easy. When you're recording a podcast and 
you say, I move three spaces over here and attack this guy, it's terrible audio. Now, if we did a game like Twitch, you know, like we we probably will at some time at some point start doing that, then we could do that very easily. We could have roll twenty up, and the audience could see the screen. But you know, I kind of like what Sprocket here is saying. That's different, but for our audio only podcast, because actually there's there's an example of this. We'll show you how how easy it is to fall into that. There's one episode of Secret Lies in the Undead where we did use maps and minis. Yes, and it was a fun game. But I went back when I was editing that. I was like, no, no one knows what's happening because it was all I move here. Like that's we all fell to, so into it so easily when we could see the map. We stopped describing things and we just said, I'm going to move up behind this one and attack it. Uh, Sprocketeer liked our RuneQuest game. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Again, that was a very sort of crunchy game and spoilers. We all died at the end. Yep, uh, but <laughs> the point is that there were no maps and it was all descriptive. So good example of how we were able to successfully deal with a lot of combat without so, lying on that. I, I will counter. I, I had a couple people tell me that they were in fact confused in that game. That they got confused on where we were in relation to other things. You know, obviously, that's a couple people. It may not be the majority of them. Uh, but but there was obviously there's you know, different sides of that. But there were a couple people that were like, I had no idea where anybody was at at any time. It was just sort of a, okay, I, apparently you're in front of a, of a baboon now, but there was no like spatial recognition of where they were in relation to other characters at times. So, you know, I, I think that's a game that we probably should have had a map, but again, we, we pretty much told, you know, um, we didn't want him. We didn't want them. That's not kind of our style, but I, I, if the audience can see the map, it's totally different. But yeah, uh, I was one of those people that was very confused where we were at all times. Yeah, I had to edit around a few things. Uh, some of your "I don't know what's happening" never made it into the podcast. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, but yeah, definitely there was there was some I don't know where I'm at type of a thing. Yeah. Uh, and we did a trial of Identico just a few days ago. It'll be out in about three weeks. And that's a game where I felt like a map would have been helpful, not for the combat because the combat was very fluid, but just for like some of the setups. Like it was very clear that the DM had maps and as they were describing where people were in relation to other people, it wasn't just, oh, there's four people in the room. It was one's by the door, one's by the elevator, one's on a perch, sniper perch. Um, You know, when, when um, Michael was doing the hacking, he had like a, a map of hacking and depending on your role, it would show you how far into the network you got. And I think that would have been very helpful to actually see visually when we were playing it. Yeah. For that game, all of that material was in the uh, session supplements that was being run for us. So that was a physical handout that could have been put on the table if we had been playing together. And there were a couple moments where the GM actually held things up to the camera so we could all see it. Yep, sorry, I was, I was reading the, the chat. So, yes, Brad, I actually I have played with Maps and Minis the majority of my gaming career. Uh, by far, I used Maps and Minis. And it wasn't until when I, when I first started, we didn't. Like when I start, first started playing 12 years old, basic D&D, it was all just... You're in a room, you're fine. Like, I would have a map, and I would tell them where they were going. They were supposed to map, but no one, none of my friends did because they didn't care. 
And then when 3.5 came out, we switched to having uh, maps and minis, and we played that all the way up until we started the podcast. So, I mean, that's 15, 20 years or so. I mean, I don't know, a very long time that I was using maps and minis. And, and there were even in, in college, we played AD&D and second D&D. And we used maps and minis some. It wasn't necessarily gridded, but we would draw a map and we would put our minis and show representation. But it wasn't as much like I moved three steps because AD&D didn't have it from what I remember that way. But we would know where things were with a map and minis representation. In college, when I was playing, we played 3.0, 3.5. We always had maps and minis. And we always had someone tasked with mapping the dungeon we were in to the point that the GM had us make sure we had map making supplies when we were in town. We bought parchment and and things like that. And if you didn't, you you couldn't make a map. Or I I have done the thing where you get hit like by a fireball and I would roll a save and be like, oh, your map's gone. And I would take the map from them. So that they don't know where they're at anymore because their map burned up. Man, um, you're a you're a mean GM. I I was. Um, I uh, lost my train of thought there for a second. I, was... I like the concept. Uh, I think Brad pointed this out in the chat of actually having a screen to play on, even when you're sitting around a table, because an old school grid whether you're on a wet erase board or actual grid paper, you just rip off a sheet when you're in the next room. It's very unwieldy. It's very difficult to deal with. I'm a terrible artist trying to draw the squiggles of, okay, you're on the road. No, wait, no, this is a river. Let me use my blue pen because they're the same damn squiggles. Is that a dick? No, it's a horse that looks like a dick. Yeah. This cave, my caves always look the same because they were just big circles. Yeah. Uh, it, it's always a pain. Um, having a big screen to actually just display a picture on, like a big PDF or a, uh, some sort of image that has a grid over it that you can just plop your minis on and move them around. That's cool. I'm not technologically savvy enough and I can't afford a big screen. Well, uh, anyone who goes back, if you go back through our podcast or through our website, one of the first things I ever wrote was me building the game table that we play on. Originally, it was a giant grid that I had printed off. It was one inch squares and had a laminate over top of it. So the entire table was a battle map. And that's what we played on. We played fourth edition for a long time. Maps, minis, we would draw everything. I had multicolored wet erase for everything. And I remember there's a very early faculty meeting where we, where Nico was on it. And we talked about one of the reasons why I don't like maps and minis was that I felt like there was a huge disconnect between building to tension where you're about to roll initiative, you know, you're talking to the guard or you're trying to bluff your way past the dragon, whatever. And that moment of will it work or will it won't. And then I'm like roll initiative. Oh crap. It didn't work. And then there was like 10 minutes of nothing. You know, everybody's pulling out their character sheet and getting their minis. I'm trying to draw a map. I'm trying to draw it really fast. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to lose that tension we had. So I draw a really shitty map cause I'm trying to draw it really fast. And then we end up with a really shitty map. You know, and, and Nico was like, it's fine. No one cares. Take your time. We're all still excited. But I feel like there's a disconnect, which is one of the biggest things I like about not having them anymore is there is no difference. You go straight from tension to combat without any delay, without any sort of transition. 
And that, that's what I like so much about that. The freedom to take any situation into a combat or back out without having to break out maps and draw a dick pick. Well, no one wants you to draw that. <laughs> that that's, or they're all going to look that way. That's fine. Well, hey, we really got off on a deep uh, rabbit hole tangent there from Kobolds. Yep. Absolutely. Um, speaking of maps, actually, uh, again, I'll plug my own thing. I did a, a YouTube video just a couple of days ago on our YouTube about how to use Excel to make graph paper, to, to use it to make simple dungeons. Um, and back when I made dungeons, that's how I made them. This was back, you know, ages ago, back in the before times. Uh, now there's, I'm sure there's free versions of what I did that are better, but I just I thought it would be a fun little video. Seems to be getting good response. But, yeah, basically you, you make Excel, turn it into a graph paper by gridding it and then grayscaling it. You take a picture of that, and then you use your paint tools to, like, white out blocks to make paths and add circles to make rooms and stuff. Super easy. Uh, I'm going to be running a game at Origins, and there's going to be a small dungeon in it, and that's I'm going to make it in that. So I'll probably will share it when I get done. That's cool. So anyway, so the last thing that we do is we throw it to the audience for a Q&A, which we've already kind of been doing that with Brad and with Sprocketeer, but we'll do one official question. So the next one that pops in can be anything about D&D, role-playing games, about us, about our opinions on movies or food or whatever. Uh, it's your chance to ask us anything, and we will answer it or not because we reserve the right not to. <laughs> Uh, well, and I will actually ask you guys as well, has the stream been going okay? Has there been any lag issues? Because no one said anything that I've seen, but I didn't know if maybe it just hasn't come up. Because I, I was curious if my computer is handling the load. Well, I've been looking at the video playing that's behind us in real time, and it seems to have been going okay. Sprocketeer says it's been okay as well. Um because at this point, I I think I've got the computer side figured out. The only issue we're running into is in is the internet. I just we we pay for upgraded internet. It just we're not getting the speeds. I don't know if you know the wife may be upstairs watching Netflix or whatever, but um, I don't think there's anything else I can do hardware or software wise, other than just paying for an additional internet like you know package. Um, and I don't know if I can justify that for as little as we do this right now. But, you know, maybe in the future sometime. So, yeah, so one last call for Brad. There's other people watching, though I think one of them's you. Uh, Legendary Pants hasn't weighed in, but uh, Brad, Legendary Pants or Sprocketeer, uh, any questions that you would like for us to end this show on, let us know. I will take a drink of water while we wait. There's a chance that I will be at Origins this year, probably on Sunday. Yep, I uh, I actually had a game on Sunday that I canceled so I could be free in case you show up. Oh, well, now I'm going to feel really bad if I can't make it. Yeah, you should. You should I, feel I bad. Will. I will. I feel bad most of the time. I'm sure I'll find something to do if you're not there. <laughs> if nothing else, just wander around the vendor hall and demo games. Yeah, or hand out cards saying, please come to a catacomb and be a vendor. Oh, uh oh there's two questions oh uh let so let, let's uh let's go brad's real quick uh he brought some magic packs to do a synergy session do you plan on running a session zero synergy session and actually playing the game uh yes that is something we've been talking about doing for a really long time 
Um, one of those secret projects that we started several years ago that died off was based completely on that. Uh, we're get, we'll get back to that one of these days. One of these days. I will say Chris uh, Burlew from the Redemption podcast, he was on, I think, the most recent Synergy session, and he is writing up that adventure for a catacomb. That's going to be one of the things that he runs is the adventure based off of our Synergy session. So uh, someone will do it, even if it's not us. Yeah. Uh, Sprocketeer said, what is your favorite gaming product of all time? Supplement, scenario, etc." Oof. So that's really tough because I don't use a lot of that. I've always just made stuff up. So I, you go first while I think about that. I mean, well, oh, great. So I'm assuming we, we don't mean like games. Like I can't just say like 13th age because I think that's a good system. But it has to be, you know, like an adventure, adventure module or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my shelf over here. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to see what I have on the on the shelf over there. Um. Oh, oh, we got some leniency. Sparketeer said rule set two. Anyway. Ah, okay. Um, okay, well, here's here's kind of a good answer. I really like the Dresden Files role-playing game books. It's based on Fate. It was Fate before Fate Core came out. I like it because of how it is written. Because it's basically presented as the characters in the fiction reading slash learning these rules about themselves. So there's this huge book to read through, but then all the side notes are from three of the characters discussing what's going on. And it was established within the Dresden novels that one of them is a GM and the other ones are playing the game. It's not D&D. It was something they made up. I think it was called Arcanos. Um, so it's basically the, the GM, Billy, Billy the Werewolf, running the game. And Harry and Bob the Skull are reading the book, arguing with him about the rules. <laughs> so it's, it's, really, it's a really clever way to frame it and keep you invested in the fiction. Um, the, the fate rules are ridiculously complicated to fit into the Dresden universe. So it's hard to wrangle sometimes, um, but they're just really pretty books. They're really well-made. They're really well-written. Uh, there's one supplement that's just the rules. And the other one is the, essentially the monster manual, but it's all the characters out of the Dresden novels. So if you want to play Billy the Werewolf, you can just get the sheet for Billy the Werewolf. He's right there, and it's really cool. Um, Sprocketeer, the TV show is a pale comparison of the novels. Although it does star, is it Paul Blackthorne as Harry? And he's a really good Harry. Uh, He is currently playing um, Lance in, uh, in Arrow. Um, he, he's a really good version of Harry, uh, but the novels are fantastic. There's what, 12 or no, there's 14, 12, 13, 14. Yeah. There's 14 of them. The first three are miserably boring. Just power through them and then read the rest of the books. They are nothing like the TV series. The TV series is, is a TV series. It's a, it's a weird spinoff. 
Well, I enjoyed it too. It was just nothing compared to the story. Uh, So in typical Michael fashion, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you two. Yep. Uh, So my first is the Fate Core book. I've I've said many times, I don't know if Sprocketeer has listened to a lot of our other shows, that uh, I have yet to play a game of Fate that lives up to the promise that the book made me. But reading (laughs) that book drastically opened my eyes to how to run a better game. It it is a very narrative heavy style that I think the I don't think the mechanics work as well as maybe people think they do or I'm just not good at them and I can't make them work. But I that book just reading that book from cover to cover was eye opening to me in how to let characters be free to do what they want and not necessarily like do what they want and change you know cheat, but approach the game the way they want to approach it. And uh, it just was an amazing book, and it really, it really helped me be a better game master. I think uh, the second one would be the Eberron campaign setting for three point five, and then they also revised it for four. I'm on, on, you know, uh, on record. I love Eberron; it's my favorite setting. I loved that setting book. I have over you can't see. I have almost all the three point five ones. I went back and I've refound and repurchased. So I have almost the entire collection of those. I love everything about Eberron. And I love the campaign book, the way it lays out. Um, this is what the players know. This is what's really going on. The players don't know anything. They're wrong. Um, and I just loved that. And there also was one of the beginning modules, I think is called Shadows of the Last War. I tried to find it. That's why I was leaning over trying to get it off my shelf. I can't dig it out right now. It was probably the first module I had ran in 10 years because I just stopped running them after basic D&D. And I love that module. I've ran it multiple times for multiple groups. And it's actually, God, I wish I could find it. I actually may take a second look for it. It is where the crystal key that I use in all my games came from. There's a crystal key in that module. And that's that's where the inspiration arose from. That I use it for different things. But the idea of a crystal key came from that module. Was it also sometimes a dagger? No. no oh, that's not. just you. Yeah. I really like Eberron too. I I like it though because it is fantasy technology. I like the tech behind all of it. I like the political intrigue of the different houses, even though I do not enjoy political intrigue games and I'm terrible at running them or playing them. Uh, But yeah, Eberron's really cool. I like it. I'm going to shout. Oh, maybe this is it. Hold on. Um, that the, uh, because it makes sense to me, uh, you know, again, I've said this many times that D and D never, the, the typical medieval European setting that happens to have dragons and wizards in it doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, I think what Keith did was say, if there really was magic, it would function a lot like technology. People would use it to solve problems. So you would have ever-burning torches in places that could afford them. You would have, you know, airships because they can do that. And it's like, it just made so much more sense to me that that's how a culture would d- develop that actually had magic rather than here's medieval Europe and there's dragons and wizards. So I think that's what really captured my imagination. It just It's the game that I would have made if I was smart enough and, you know, had enough drive to actually do it. This isn't it. Give me one more second. Keep talking. Uh, well, I will say here that both of us are wrong because our favorite gaming product, the correct answer 
is easy roller dice. Uh, well, yeah. Because uh, easy roller dice makes a fine dice product that we love we and do. use every day. You also make awesome metal dice that you can throw at people as weapons. <laughs> I found it. It is hey. Shadows of the Last War. And long-time listeners will recognize this. Oh. We we all know what that is. Yeah. So uh, for that game, you guys never actually saw it, but I took that picture. I took a picture of it with my phone, uploaded it to my computer, erased all the text, redrew in some of the lines because they were blurry because that's a shitty way to do things, actually printed it out, colored it and laminated it i physically have a copy of this key and i've now lost it i don't know where it went but i I I kept bringing it up i've seen it i saw it once i'm sure i showed it to you (laughs) yeah you definitely did i think it was that first academy i was in your basement probably yeah i i took it to I took it to one of the conventions. I don't know if it was a, a first Akatacon that we were out or a Gen Con or somewhere. I had it as part of my stuff because it was going to be a prop, and it never made it home. I don't know if I dropped it in, in the hallway or something, but I've never got around mm-hmm. to making it again. But at some point, I probably will because it's, it's going to be – actually, it's in, it's in Dark Discovery. That same key is in Dark Discovery. Uh, we now understand the shared universe of all of Michael's D&D games connected yeah. by this key. Yeah, it uh, it was supposed to be a throwaway, almost like a gag. Uh, the the key showed up, and actually Graydon, who was in um, Made Men, showed up, and it was supposed to be like a really quick, oh, that's funny, and the characters, of course, doing things I didn't expect, and now it's become a central plot point to the story. So, yeah, go characters. No, no plan survives contact with the char- with the players. That is correct. Well. Uh, to everyone that was watching and listening, and particularly to Sprocketeer and Brad for keeping up with the chat with us, we really appreciate that. Uh, and then Legendary Pants, thanks for watching, even if you didn't chime in. Maybe next time you will. Uh, but we really appreciate you guys watching. I, I sent out a tweet a couple of days ago asking if maybe we should change up detention a little bit. Only because a lot of people tell us they really like it, but we're not getting a lot of people watching. So it's sort of that like, okay, you know, is it the people watch later? They just don't have time on Wednesday nights, which is totally fair. But, you know, do we need to continue to set aside the time to do this every Wednesday and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it seems like overwhelmingly people said, no, keep it as is. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to keep trucking and hopefully we will, we will grow an audience. So we really appreciate those of you who were with us tonight. And of course, anyone watching or listening in the future. So uh, until then... This has been Michael. And me. Hi, I'm Caleb. And we will see you <laughs> next time. All right, we got to do our awkward wave out. It's tradition now. You have to just awkwardly wave for a long time until I do the button. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, 
please visit patreon.com slash vrpgacademy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at vrpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.